0: and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, ...swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot, known locally as a February room, is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories... 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity in graphite technology now available at cd fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, and remember to go fishing. Here's your host, The Carnops,
1: and this is the
0: February Room.
1: Well, it may be cliche, but the fly fishing industry is a pretty small world. I first met my guest today about 20 years ago when he came into my fly shop looking for a guide job. Um, now our paths cross again, and uh, he is the manager of a legendary fishing lodge in Belize. Damien Nuri, long time no see, man. It has been a while. Long time. I
2: think the last time we ran into each other was maybe at a bar in Missoula.
1: Right, yeah, during uh, the guide rendezvous. Exactly. Uh, yeah, six or seven years ago or something. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping you can uh, roll back the clock for us a little bit and kind of uh, give me some insight into what it was like working for a tyrant all those years <laughs> ago on, on, on the Deschutes River in Central Oregon. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think, you know, I first came in and and got, well, the way we got introduced was through our mutual friend, Mike Barber. And right, who's,
1: who's back guiding on the Deschutes, incidentally. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that, but good for him, <laughs> I
2: mean, that that sounds like a good play for him. I, and some there's some days that I wish I was back there doing that. To be honest, not me. Um, but so I I remember getting like my first real Deschutes River guide day. I had bought a new boat, and I was so excited. And you had called and said, "Hey, we've got this trip." Meet me in Madras, I meet you in Madras. And we did a little grocery shopping and then he said we had to go meet the customers, the clients over at uh, one of the bars, maybe the meat market, is that, is that called the meat market then? It, right it was, the- yep.
1: oh, yeah.
2: he had terrible ribs. Oh, terrible, terrible. And we met the guests and I remember one of the guys was had a striking resemblance to Jack Palin, the guy from City Slickers. <laughs> <laughs> okay right on and not just in looks the guy like didn't talk he just was very (laughs) stoic and the 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 whole premise of the trip was there was a cattle rancher who was raising kobe beef in central oregon and he was trying to court some ranchers out of wyoming into raising kobe beef and buying his genetics Right, right. I forgot about that. Okay. And the guy asked you what we were going to be having for lunch. And you said chicken, breasts, sandwiches or something like that. You know, very standard Deschutes Guide lunch. And he said, well, I've got some steaks. Would you mind preparing some steaks? We're like, yeah, sure. No problem. And, um, I, didn't, I didn't know at the time that it was going to be Kobe beef. Um, I had no idea what that even was. But then fast forward, so we're doing a steelhead trip in, like, the middle of July, out of Maupin. Nobody, like, there's been no reports of anybody catching a fish yet, let alone any guide trips probably going out. And we meet at Odark 30. We do Beaver Tail the Max, and, of course... I don't know that stretch for shit as far as steelhead goes. It's my first guide day ever. And I've got the greenhorns that can barely walk and wade and get in and out of the boat. And you've got the pros. And I think I see you at the boat ramp and that was it. And you just said, you know, find me for lunch. And I remember not being able to find you and thinking, oh man, I must have passed him. I must have passed him. And being a little stressed out and then finally catching up and you kind of like having everything set up. And I think I had the beef, but you had all the grill and lunch utensils. And definitely a little gruff, like, where the heck have you been, man? Maybe it wasn't quite that nice. But I remember, so we ended up having some Kobe beef. And they had like every cut and it was just a really amazing lunch. And we basically all we ate for lunch was beef and nothing else. And then the fishing, that was like blazing hot. So you're like, hey, let's just go ahead and take out and we'll do an evening float up through town. And so yeah, we, nothing to it. Exactly, so we drive it's yeah, only
1: like, what, it's 50 miles, 50 miles yeah. in the rig with these folks, <laughs> another shuttle, a whole do other it. day. Yeah, dude, no, yeah. nothing to it. Yeah.
2: So I'm following your lead, and I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, you know. I'm, I'm used to, you know, at, what, 24 years old, you know, or whatever it was, 23, yeah, I can do laps, you know. Like, I'm, I'm okay, just go, go, go. And we drop them off, we go, you had gotten us a hotel room up on the hill, and we sat down, we were kind of bullshitting, and next thing I know, I remember looking over, and you've got, like, four or five beers drained, and you're laying on the couch, and it's, I just remember it distinctly, we're watching, like, shitty reruns on a black and white TV in this bumpy motel. And we were in Maupin? We we're in Moppin up on the hill.
1: Okay. Oh. Yep. Right. That only, that little hotel up there. Sure. So yep. we're, so let me see here. So we're kind of laid up and we're going to take them on the upper river the next day or that evening? No, oh, that evening. That evening. Okay. So we and were, I'm just, I'm just pre funking a little bit. Got it.
2: Yep. Yep. And, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. I guess this is what, you know, pro guide life is like. I'm kind of easing into this. And, about 20 minutes before we're supposed to go, you you just, like, drop this bombshell of, yeah, why don't you just take all four in your boat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, oh, okay, sure. Uh, is that legal? Like, can I put that many people in my boat? I don't even know if that's possible. And you're like, oh, no, man, you got this. It's flat water, no big deal. And so... You drove us up. We put the boat in. I piled all four of them in, uh, and then you ran my shuttle.
1: If I remember well, there you go. I mean, who was going to do that? Yeah, no doubt, man. You were an ace yeah. all the way around. Team, there. team effort, definitely. And
2: I do remember going down and getting Don's and Lola's, and figuring, okay. Like I can at least have all four of these people out, and had all four of them stretched out in Don's and Lola's, and two of them it really didn't matter because they weren't getting anything past their bootlaces, anyways. Um, <laughs> and the two gentlemen that actually knew what they were doing, um, I think they could—they were starting to sniff out some bullshit, but I'm not—I'm not totally positive. <laughs> But there you go. And I ended up surviving. I put them all in my vehicle and got them dropped off at their hotel. I'm pretty sure they greased me a little bit. And that was it, man. And I was off to the races after that as far as my guide days or my guiding career.
1: Well, there you go, man. I mean, all's well that ends well. It sounds like a pretty professional outfit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was a very professional outfit.
1: Yeah, it was the wild, it was the wild west back then. It was because They were crazy times, you know, you just, you had to be on your toes. Those were The dynamic environment, things were constantly changing.
2: You know, the interesting thing is when I look back at those days, man, there's so few of the guides on the Deschutes um, still to this day. It sounds like uh, Barber's back, but I mean, I think, think back, maybe only
1: Brandon
2: and Corey are still doing it.
1: Right. Yeah. Those are the only guys that I know from back. I think Boyd still dabbles a little bit too. Oh, probably, probably. He, yep. Yeah. Yep. I talked to him a while ago and he was kind of trying to figure out another path in life, but uh, I'm not sure he's navigated that yet. I don't really know. Yeah. But um. yeah, no, most of those guys are gone. And a lot of those guys we worked with were in there. you know, fifties and sixties back then totally. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know any of the the new guys down there. I'll tell you, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of jet boat guides down there catering to fly guys now, which I'm sure, you know, yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. Um, that, that wasn't a thing back then.
2: It's almost all fly jet boaters. It seems like there's not as many of the gear guys. It's been years since I've been in that lower, lower river though.
1: Yeah. There's Staples is still down there. Um, yeah, but yeah, for sure. I I went down there last October. I hadn't been back in a while and, and, um, yeah, there was I four or five jet boat guides that came by with fly fishing operations.
0: Cool. How All
1: many right. years did you guide on the Deschutes after, after that? Cause I, I left, uh, I don't know. I left in oh five five or something. Oh four, I think.
2: Yeah, my I think I was my total time on the Deschutes was seventeen years. Whoa. You yeah. were there a long time. I, I was, you know. Um, I remember one time going into one of the fly shops, actually the fly shop in Redmond, and I walked in and there was a new guy behind the desk and didn't really know him and had was like ripping between back to back multi days and this was probably like year I don't know, 12 or 13 or something like that. And I put my flies and tippet or dry shake or gink or whatever the supply was that I was desperate to have, uh, for the next round and I asked the guy, well, Hey man, you know, like, do you guys give a, a guide discount? And he's like, well, you know, who are you? And I gave him my name. He's like, Oh, you're one of the old timers. <laughs> and I just started that exact response. I started laughing like, man, I am not one of the old timers. Trust me. There's guys that have been doing this a lot longer than me.
1: Well, and then you had your own outfitting business and your own permit at that point, right?
2: Yeah. At that point, I actually had permits on the Deschutes, the Crooked, and uh, the High Lakes. I had the the forest. Oh,
1: wow. The, the trifecta. There.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We, um, Deep Canyon Outfitters was the name of that one. And that was a fun, a fun little deal, man. I mean, we, we rocked it and rolled it. I mean, during Salmon Fly Hatch, um, it was pretty common for me to have two camps running at the same time where we would literally, the camp wouldn't move, just the bagger would move. Um, we did that a couple of times. To, to some of the other outfitters' chagrin, they weren't always too happy with us, but you know, it's the way it goes, I guess
1: right and then you subsequently sold that and and moved to bozeman next or what was the next move
2: so sold so in uh 2015 that winter i moved to belize and took over as the fly fishing or the fishing manager at turn of flats and did that for four months that winter um before coming back and doing my guide season on the deschutes and during that guide season was approached um by a buyer and and by the end of the guide season literally on our last multi-day camp trip um we had reached a deal um over sat phone how cool is that how funny is that (laughs) and then 2016 was the official sale date and moved back to belize and worked in Belize uh, January through June, and then moved to Bozeman.
1: Okay, and then at that point you became the owner of Blue Horizon Lodge?
2: No, no no, no. So um, in would have been you know 2016, to be totally honest, I didn't do much.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. played around you, you took a gap year. Definitely. Right on, yeah. I had one yeah. of those in, in Bozeman one time. Uh, yeah, it was called flunking out of college, but it was yeah. Gambling.
2: If I would have been in college, I would have definitely flunked out that year because there was a lot of time on the river. There was a lot of time just sitting around watching TV. There's just a lot of time fucking off, really. Um, right. I miss those days. Yeah, me too. Um, and then. Uh, a good friend of mine and I, we started a consulting business called C Four Outdoor, and that's when I got involved with uh, Blue Horizon um, and their parent company called Muyono. So I took mm-hmm. took over uh, working with those guys in I guess it would have been in early two thousand eighteen.
1: Gotcha. And now now you're the manager of Blue Horizon Lodge. Correct. Yeah. So I
2: am down in Belize, moved down here in January and plan to be down here for another month or so and then get back to Bend. And my whole goal this year, Justin, has been to not wear shoes other than for exercise, to only wear flip-flops. So I'm going to be back in the States and Oregon during flip-flop season. And then once the snow flies, I'll be back down here.
1: Are these the same flip-flops, or do you have a couple of pairs that you're rotating in and out?
2: You know, I got two pairs, but they're basically, they're just different colors. Just depending on your mood? Well, my wardrobe, man. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> and now a brief message from our sponsors. High-performance graphite shouldn't break the bank. Check out the Tamer brand of fly rods for composite developments available in 5, 6, and 8 weight. An unbelievable value at $199, Tamer four piece fly rods deliver smooth cast and precise presentation. Our Tamer kits include a Fly Lab pulse reel and weight forward fly line, a river ready kit for under $300. Go to cd fishing.us or visit a CD dealer in Idaho, Montana, or Wyoming. And remember to go fishing.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, the blue horizon lodge has been there since 1997. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah. So in 1997, Lincoln Westby, uh, and his wife, Perline, they found that's when they opened it. They had purchased the property or started leasing the property, the Island Northeast key. Oh, probably for a year or so before that. And it took them a while to build up the Island. Um, it's a great story to, to listen to Lincoln talk about how they would bring out a ponga load of sawdust. And the reason why they would bring out sawdust is because they could triple the amount, the volume of material versus bringing out sand or dirt. And so they would bring out sawdust and lay that down uh, as a base layer. Um, to establish this island. And then on top of that, they put uh, old car tires. And then on top of that, they put sand. They brought sand out um, in bags, sandbags. And then they would fill in the island. And yeah, man. And to this day, when we do any like posting of pylons or new beams to new supports for the new buildings, it's not uncommon for us to hit tires or other items that basically are the foundation of the Island.
1: So the foundation is sawdust tires and, and sand. Yeah. Sawdust,
2: uh, tires and sand. But I mean, it's, uh, now there's been so many different layers of material that have been put on top, uh, different layers of mud and different, um, storms that have come through and deposited, uh, more mud and sand and things um, that, yeah, it's it's in, only in some places would you actually hit some of the weird old remains of, the, of what he put down.
1: And how big is
2: that island? We're at three acres. Well, the entire island is much bigger than that. I think it's about 15. Uh, the part that we own, the parcel that we currently own, uh, is just over three acres. I think it's like 3.1 or 3.2 acres. And it's of, of the island. The rest of the island is basically just mangrove. There's really no dry land.
1: Gotcha. And so that, that was built there, strategically located to be amongst all those great permit and bonefish flats, right?
2: You know, mainly the, the permit flats. Um, I mean, it is you can take a three minute boat ride and be casting to tailing fish. Uh, There's mornings that we'll wake up or afternoons that I'll be walking uh, around the island. I'll just glance over and there'll be a tail, a fish uh, tailing right in front of the lodge. Um, The other thing is right off, we've got a really fantastic coral system. And right off the edge of the coral, uh, the reef right in front of the lodge, there's deep water and when it's flat calm, There's a resident school of tarpon that live there, and there's got to be fish that migrate through, because about a month ago, we had a week of just flat calm in the morning, and every morning, they'd be out there rolling, and uh, there was probably 200 fish, maybe, maybe not quite that many, but there was a lot, man, a lot of tarpon.
1: Yeah, my buddy Sam Lundgren was down there uh, around that time and said that, yeah, it was crazy with the amount of tarpon that were right in front of the lodge.
2: Yeah, so he was actually part of uh, one of the first groups that was... They had really terrible weather, and they came back in kind of early, and because it was brutal. I mean, just atrocious weather, rain and wind. And as they got in, within 10 minutes of them being on the island, it just went dead calm, beautiful, not real sunny, but the high uh, the clouds got real high. And as I'm um, catching up with their guide for the day, just you know, doing a debrief, I'm like, hey, did you see that? He's like, huh, we look out, and tarp and roll, roll again, roll a third time. He's like, man, I gotta go get these guys. And so he went and rousted them. They went out and I think they jumped five within like 10 casts. It was pretty, pretty cool. And then from then on for a good month and a half, um, the guides would get up early and go do that and had very productive fishing. The last month or so has been very windy. And so they haven't been able to target those, those fish recently.
1: Gotcha. That's awesome. And you um, have recently refurbished that lodge, correct?
2: Yeah. So, uh, Muyono, the the parent company, we purchased Northeast Key from Lincoln and Perline in 2019. Spent all of, well, we did that in May of 2019. Started rebuilding, um, refurbishing um that island. So we basically any any building that was salvageable or any part of any building that was salvageable, we salvaged. And then anything that wasn't salvageable, we um rebuilt on the same footprint. Um so it's pretty cool. There's a few of the buildings there that are the original housings uh shells and then we've you know beefed them up and resupported them um and uh added air conditioning, uh, added hot water, which that wasn't a thing that was always available on the island. The previous version of Blue Horizon was very much just a fish camp. Um, It was about its location, and it was about hardcore permit fishing, and that was about it. Um, And our entire goal has been to retain that aspect, but let's face it, today's traveler, traveling angler wants – a little bit more creature comforts.
1: Right, right. Um, and you mentioned um, the surname Westby, which is um, synonymous with permit fishing and, and permit guiding in Belize. Um, can you give me a little history on uh, on the Westby family? And uh, they're really sought after guides. I know there's several of them out there.
2: Yeah, there is a, a number of Westbys out there. Certainly the the most... Um, uh, known name would be Lincoln Westby. Lincoln is 80 years old. He turned 80 years old this January, and he is still out there on a daily basis uh, guiding and loving it, man. I mean, this guy, we've had many conversations, and I've asked him, you know, when are you going to slow down? And he said, you know, if I... The day I stop going out on the ocean is the day that my body will start to die. And he wants to be out there just as much as guides that are in their twenties or thirties or the hungry ones. Um, it's really, really cool to see. Um, you know, he was one of the first guides to really look at the fish species of permit and go, man, how come nobody tries to catch these fish? And then invest some time. He and Will Bauer, um, He's got, uh, let's see, Winston Morey talks a lot about. And there's a couple other gentlemen that I don't remember their names at the moment. That he would take them fishing and they would take turns pulling each other down the flats. They would, I mean, they were the pioneers of permit fishing in Belize, maybe even, you know, parts uh, or all of the Caribbean. Um, They were doing this back in the uh, mid to late 80s. Is when they first got started,
1: and he has how many sons? He
2: actually has no sons. He's got all daughters, but he's got a couple of what I would call um, almost like adopted sons. Um, there's a number of proteges, so to speak, that he has had over the years. That um, he has helped them evolve as fishing guides. One right now is a guy named Steve Cabral, who also works with Blue Horizon. Steve is, I mean, one of the hardest working, most knowledgeable guides out on the flats these days. And um, a lot of that is has to do with uh, Lincoln's tutelage over the years.
1: Gotcha. I guess I'm mistaken. I, for some reason, I thought that there was uh, several other male guides named Westby down there. But um,
2: there, whatever. you know, the Westby name is def- there. There certainly is. So in Belize, you got Westby's, Leslie's, Hyde's, Garbet's, Young's. These are, are Cabrals. Those are all big names in um, the fly fishing community and the guide, fly fishing guide community. You know, from a Westby standpoint, there is, I mean, when you hear the name Westby, you, everybody thinks of Lincoln.
1: Right. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I know you're uh, you're coming to us from Belize. So if you see a permit, and you got to run. We understand. Oh.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: what is the state of the permit fishery down there right now, Damien? you know this year has been
2: fantastic uh i don't know if it's because of the COVID break that the fish got a little you know they basically had all summer off of being pressured by knuckleheads like me uh, coming down and trying to toss a fly in front of them uh november october november when we reopened the country reopened last october the fishing was very very good november remained very good and honestly it stayed very strong i mean it it was rare for the guides to come back and not have one to two permit a day being caught which i mean that's wow Yeah. yeah that's really good um even for this fishery i mean this fishery is fantastic um and that's been you know until about the last month but we've had in the last month you get the full moon the spring full moons and you know, there's different guides that'll tell you that they spawn this time of year. There's other guides that'll say, no, that's crazy. They spawn in, in uh, June and July. And I mean, I, I honestly, I, I don't know what the explanation would be. I can tell you the weather has been a factor in the last couple of weeks. It's been really breezy and we definitely have not had the most ideal, um, permit weather lately, but before that, man, the fishery, in my experience in the last four years of being involved, this is the strongest it's been in a long time. When I've been out on the flats in February and March, uh, even parts of April, it was uh, very previously in previous years, it was common to see, you know, schools of medium sized fish. And maybe you bump into one or two, uh, medium to big size fish that are singles and doubles or triples. And boy, in March, we were seeing schools, big schools of medium sized fish, like larger than average schools and lots of singles and doubles that were in the mid to upper teens. Um, and that's, I mean, in my four years, which is limited experience on these flats, I, I hadn't
1: seen that before. Um, wow. That's awesome. So the trend is upward definitely you're thinking that's cool. yeah. great okay. so is typically like most of the permit fishermen that i know and when i've gone down and <clears throat> and hacked away at those miserable animals um yeah. it's been like march april is kind of like the popular time to go is that partly due to just folks want to go someplace warm and fish in those months or is that actually a good time for tides and weather
2: uh a little of both i think uh our Definitely we see the most traffic from February through May, and that is because you can still have, you know, the weather in the States and in North America is pretty brutal. People want to get out of the cold, especially by February. You know, most places in fishing country, trout country, they've had cold for two to three months, maybe snow for for longer and want to get out of that. Um, the fishing really remains very good throughout the year um, the i would say there's two times that this particular fishery can be a little bit more challenging and that is like late september early october when we get the big fall tides and that's just because um, a lot of these floods here are really shallow water flats so when you have the high tides uh, if you don't have sun, it's really hard to spot those fish because they're not sticking their tail out like they normally would be. They're still on the flats, they're just harder to, harder to see. And then the other time of year that can be challenging um, is like basically over the, the Christmas, New Year's holiday, uh, the last part of December, first part of January, and that just has to do with cold fronts. If you don't have a cold front, if we've got the nice Belize weather and you get a good tide. The fishing will be spectacular. It's just that time of year, it's not uncommon to have a cold front come through. And a north wind brings rain, cold air, and the permit. And really all the fish species, the flat species, they don't care for that kind of weather. And so they, they tend to not be as easily found um, at those times. But the rest of the year, man, it's really good. My personal favorite is uh, July and August. Um for being down here and, um, it's great fishing, less people on the flats. Um, so there's a lot less fishing pressure. There's great tides, uh, and there's t- big tarpon around. Typically there's the, um, the, the, big migratory tarpon are around too that time of year.
1: Gotcha. That's, uh, that I'm gonna have to come down there in August, one of these days and fish with you. Um, that's a good time to kind of get out of here and, uh, um, yeah, those those big migratory tarpons sound awfully enticing as well.
2: Yeah, it's pretty fun that time of year. So you can fish, you basically, you know, everything around here, we fish the tides, and that's really important. Um, but so if, when you have a real low tide, at that point you can go look for tarpon and look for um, either catching just as the, the dropping tide goes to slack tide, just before it goes to slack tide can be really productive the tarpon and then right as it goes from slack tide and turns and starts to come in can be really productive. Um, And it's great because in those time windows, those tide windows, you're not going to see much for permit on the flats typically.
1: Other than, you know, practicing their casting and trying to avoid the dreaded trout set when a fish does eat their fly, uh, what is the one thing that a freshwater angler can practice or have in their mind as they approach their the permit flat for the first time
2: yeah you know in this permit fishery i would say there's two things actually that an angler can focus on and these are things that i hear the guides talking about the most these are the two most common things don't be afraid to cast that fly as close to that fish as possible spook them or catch them is basically their mentality um, if you cast the fly too far away from the fish there's a good chance that they'll just never see the fly. If you put the fly so close that you spook them, well, at least you have the, the, the knowledge that you the fish saw your fly. Um, and that's, that's what the, the, the guides really try to get the guests and the anglers that come through here to do. The other thing is this fishery, and, and really southern Belize, don't move the fly as much as you want to. A lot of people want to strip that fly pretty quickly and it actually it's better to basically just strip enough so that you're keeping the slack out of the line until you see a fish react. And then maybe you, you toy with it. You strip a little faster um, or make a long strip, that kind of thing. But um, definitely to be just like stripping like you would if you were blind casting for a trout in a lake, you know, you, you, that's going to be moving it way too much.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Those are good tips. I I know looking back, um, to my first permit trips that I often would cast the fly too far away from the fish because I was nervous that I was going to spook it. Right. And then you're just opening yourself up to scare the fish. Then when you have to pick it up and recast.
2: Totally. Or then maybe they, if you do strip, they see the reflection of your line or there's just lots of, you know different things that can happen um and the big probably the biggest reason why you want to do that here is because these these fish in this region are uh most of your shots are going to be detailing fish they're not moving in long distance you not. they're not moving quickly they're they're more or less hanging in one spot and so you want to try and get that fly on their dinner plate right in front of them um, so that they see the fly and As they're looking for crabs, they're going to see that and come over and want to eat it.
1: Eat it or wear it, as my buddy says. (laughs) Eat it or wear it. There you go. Yeah. And are are you, do you fish the bower crab a lot or do you have some secret sauce that you run? What are your thoughts on permit fly patterns?
2: You know, permit flies anymore are, for me, they've evolved into a very similar mentality as a steelhead fly, fish something you have confidence in. Um, The Bowers Flats Crab, there's a reason why it was developed in this fishery and that's because it works, period. Um, So a Flats Crab, Bowers Flats Crab in tan or olive, good chances are going to be on the end of my line. I'd like the Contraband. I've had some good luck on a Contraband Crab. Uh, Camel Crab had good luck on those and if you were to look at all of those those three different flies they're going to have one thing in common and it's going to be stiff rubber legs
1: just a little subtlety that's uh i'll have to look for that contraband fly yeah. i haven't seen that one are you tying anymore or you don't have time for that now with everything you got going on at one point no. i know you had some pattern. Yeah. you had some patterns available commercially with montana fly company
2: yeah i did and i think they still i mean i get a 10.99 99 from them every year saying I've got certain amount of royalties. Um, so I think they're still selling some of those patterns. But the, the reality is I haven't had time to get behind a, boy, a vice in a long time. After starting a few businesses and spending more time on computers, doing payroll and bookkeeping and sales and marketing and all of it, I just, uh, yeah, the, the fly tying thing has escaped me.
1: Yeah. It's enough sitting down for, for one guy. Yeah. Well, Damien, what's the best way for folks to reach you um, and learn more about Blue Horizon and your operation down there?
2: Uh, definitely the website. We've got a great website. Bluehorizonbelize.com is a great way to learn about um, our operation. Um, contact information will be on there. Uh Email is really good, so just info, I-N-F-O, at Blue Um And you can also find a 1-800 number on our website that I don't have committed to memory. Um, otherwise, I'd spiel it off right here. That's a great way to
1: reach us. Awesome. And can, can you leave us with your best permit day? Best
2: permit day? Hmm. I mean, I've had... A few days, actually, here's a good story. So the first, actually, this was my second day of flats fishing ever. I was hosting a trip here in Belize at El Pescador, and day one had gone out, caught some bone fish, thought that was cool. Day two, told the guide, hey, let's go try it for a permit. He's like, ooh, okay, well, don't get your hopes up. And we got on the flat, and within maybe 10 minutes of being on the flat, there's two fish that are cruising by. He spots them. I may get a terrible cast because I'm all nervous and jittery, and my legs are shaking. I totally got buck fever, and they spook off. And maybe two minutes later, on the exact same trajectory, same line, here comes a single. And I make basically the same cast the guy doesn't see any of this next thing he knows i'm like hey i got one and i'm hooked up and the thing's running off and <laughs> i end up landing like oh, maybe a 10 pound permit less than you know 30 minutes into the day and she's i know so i'm like oh this is sweet belize i love this place Float down, down the flat. We encounter a big school of permit. I catch another one. We go down a little bit further. There's some bonefish tailing. Catch a bonefish. Now the guide's like, "Man, maybe we should go for a tarpon." So we go look for a tarpon. Ended up landing a tarpon all before 11 a.m. So I've got two bone or uh, two permit and a grand slam um, before 11 a.m. and naive guy second day on the flats reading all the marketing about Belize I thought this was like a daily thing I thought this was just like common get back to the lodge the lodge manager at the time comes up you know greets us how was your day I'm like oh man it was great you know got a grand slam today he's like no no you didn't (laughs) like yeah man I, I did it's like do you even know what a grand slam is (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh bonefish permit and tarpon in the same day kind of looks at me he's like well what did you catch well, I got two permit a bonefish i've uh, got a tarpon i actually jumped a couple and he just kind of paused and he's like what's your guide's name so i told him the guide's name and he went and called the guy because he didn't believe you. just to verify your story yeah he didn't believe you yeah and then he comes back later and apologizes and tells me, I'm really sorry, we haven't had a Grand Slam here in like a year and a half. That's why I didn't believe
1: Jesus, how awesome is that? It was pretty
2: cool. Um, yeah, the rest of the week, the fishing was pretty mediocre at best, but um, still a memorable experience. Uh, Unbelievable, man. I had a two-permit Grand Slam
1: two permit grand slam why is it called a grand slam and a grand slam is four runs yeah man. But there's only but there's only three fish i'm sure i'm not the first person yeah. that's asked you that <laughs> I, and
2: I i mean i don't have i don't have the history or the knowledge to be able to explain that i mean my understanding is it doesn't always it doesn't have to to get a grand slam too you don't have to catch bonefish permit and tarpon you at one point, I think a mutton snapper and a snook were included in there. So if you caught three of those five species, it was called the Grand Slam. If you caught four, it was called a Super Slam.
1: Still doesn't make any sense, but oh well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. All right, man. Onward. Hey, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was great catching up. And uh, I'm going to get down yeah, man, there and see so you on
0: one of these days, man.